0: Hello, and thanks once again for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a look at the cultures and technologies that are going to affect our lives in, fairly obviously, the near future. But first, a quick note to remind you that this podcast now has its own LinkedIn group. It only took me just over three years to think of that. So if you'd like to join, feedback on the podcast, make suggestions for future topics, or just chat, you'd be more than welcome. Just search LinkedIn for near-futurist podcast, or just my name, that's Guy Clapperton if you're new. Actually it's Guy Clapperton if you've known me half a century, whatever. So to today's episode, the pandemic did not destroy the education system as was widely predicted by so many, but that's not to downplay the battering many students took. Work from home became study from home for them, and individual faculties alongside governments struggled to keep pace with the massive changes this brought about. So where to next, and what needs to be changed? To discuss this, my guest has a focus on driving digital, cloud, and AI skills development, and digitally transforming education systems worldwide as they adopt new approaches to teaching, learning, and administration. She's worked with more than 100 countries at all levels of their system, from teachers at faculty level through to ministers of education as they develop their vision, strategy, skills, programs, and roll out digital transformation. Now, you might have guessed at this stage, I'd be nicking someone's LinkedIn profile again, but she'll do a better job of introducing herself. She is Director of Transformation and Skills at Microsoft, and her name is Alexa Joyce. Alexa, welcome.
1: Thanks, guys. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Uh, We can fix that. Okay, so let's uh, start with the basics. I've uh, covered the topic during the pandemic, education, um, but we are hopefully continuing to emerge from the pandemic now. So what's actually changed?
1: Obviously, as we went through the pandemic, all of the education systems across the world, even those in quite challenging circumstances, rapidly looked to digital tools as a way to ensure that learning could continue in whatever form that took during the lockdowns which took place across the world. And um, during that time, we saw that there was an evolution from what I would call emergency digital pedagogy, which was pretty much sending emails or having very basic communication with parents and children to be able to send them assignments and homework to do from books that they might have had at home, to actually thinking about how do you create a really rich and collaborative learning experience online and keep a sense of community even when you're not together in the classroom. And as we've moved out of the lockdowns, what's been really interesting is that many systems have really sought to capitalise on the investments that they made in digital teaching and learning tools um, to make sure that they actually continue to be used in a meaningful way in the classroom. And so particularly interesting, I think, in primary and secondary education is that um, teachers have remained really intensive users of technology. I think in large part because they've realised actually it saves them a lot of time to share lesson plans or do administration and work together online um, compared to maybe traditional ways that they were interacting before. But also we're seeing that many students and many parents are really putting pressure on teachers and on schools to continue to use technology as well because they've become much more used to using the tools, feel comfortable using them. And so where it makes sense in the classroom, want to see that continue. And I think what we want to also encourage from the technology industry side is that as schools and teachers and students have got used to using technology in a a regular way in learning is actually, how do we take it to the next level? How do we ensure that it's more equitable, more personalized, more engaging than perhaps um, traditional usage of technology has been in the past? So I think that's really what we've seen in terms of change has been a move from what I would call basic use of technology, just replicating traditional ways of working into actually more innovative ways of using technology for teaching and learning.
0: Okay, so tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Microsoft must be well-placed to work with say governments at at scale.
1: Sure, so my background, I've I've actually worked um, in the public sector for most of my career with education systems actually outside of Microsoft. And so I worked a lot with ministries of education and with teachers. And I joined Microsoft about eight years ago because I was impressed with the commitment that Microsoft has to the education sector. And um, Microsoft is really tuned in and listening closely to the needs of teachers and students. Um, we work Um, really hand-in-hand as we develop tools and services for schools so that they are secure, that they're adapted to classroom needs, that they are inclusive to different types of student scenarios and the types of usage that students might need to make of tools, um, recognising that some students might struggle with reading and some might struggle with writing and some might struggle with listening. So ensuring that we build in inclusion and accessibility tools into the, the tools that we build is something where we need to partner with schools and with education systems to do that. And I think particularly during the pandemic, it was quite an interesting experience in some ways to almost be kind of first responders for education systems. We had ministries of education and schools calling us up saying, you know, help, we need to go digital much faster. We need to get this all ready for two days' time when schools are going to close. And so it really revolutionized, I would say, the level of partnership that we're seeing between the education system and with the world of technology, because some of those barriers and, and fears that were maybe there in the past have been decreased by the fact that there was so much positive collaboration during COVID. And that's, that's laid a foundation for actually innovating together more effectively um, across the education system and its use of technology.
0: Now, one uh, buzzword that you've mentioned, actually, that probably sounds a little cynical. Uh, one phrase that you've used uh, was uh, equitable. I read a lot about equitable education solutions from Microsoft. I'm just wondering what that actually means and perhaps in what way technology solutions can, solutions can be non-equitable in the first place.
1: Mm. That's a great question. And there's lots of layers to equity when it comes to technology and education. So I think the first key principle of having an equitable Um, use of technology in schooling is obviously equitable access. So being able to actually have a device and not just any device, but a device that's genuinely appropriate to the developmental age of the student using it, um, as well as having uh, connectivity that's either free or affordable for students to access um, both at home and at school. So you know, having that baseline in in place was absolutely fundamental. And I think that's something that you know we we saw lots and lots of education systems address very quickly during COVID and procuring technology at scales that was pretty unprecedented. We've also seen that schools want to continue to to provide new devices which are more adapted to learning. And so um, our Surface team works closely on making sure that we make those devices available at price points that are affordable for schools so that they can continue to refresh and stay up to date in terms of the the tools that they offer to their students. But then once you have those fundamentals of access and, and tool availability addressed, then it's actually thinking about What are the kinds of solutions? What are the kind of collaborative experiences? What are the um, online tools that teachers might be using with their students to support equity and to help students reach their academic and social potential? So that comes back to some of the things I mentioned before. Being able to have platforms which can adapt to different reading levels, for instance. I mean, we have a tool called um, Immersive Reader and Reading Progress, which plugs into all of our Office Suite, which enables students who struggle with reading to get access to simplified interfaces where they can read more effectively, where they can get definitions of words, where they can have words read out to them um, so that they can adapt to the different reading levels of students in the classroom. And it's super, super important because we've seen since the pandemic that there's a bigger diversity in achievement levels in the average classroom today than there was prior to COVID. So finding ways to accommodate different needs, different levels within one classroom um, through the selection of appropriate tools to do that is something which is really critical to ensure an equitable learning environment.
0: Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. You've mentioned uh, the Surface team, by which I take it you mean the Microsoft Surface device, the uh, the laptop, the, the tablet uh, computer. Technology companies obviously exist to sell more equipment. They've, they're there for the shareholders. Um, I'm, I'm Assuming, as you said, that Microsoft and others have massively tailored uh, solutions to the education market. But isn't there an ecological tra- uh, case for making do with what you have to an extent?
1: Yeah, and I, I love that you asked that question, Guy, because my PhD is actually in um, sustainability and education. I have played <laughs> straight
0: into your hands. Uh, it, it, you're, you're like an evil Bond villain. Okay. <laughs> (laughs)
1: Go for it. Um, Hopefully an ecological uh, Bond villain. But um, I think one of the key things is actually ensuring that device choice, whenever you pick infrastructure, that you're picking infrastructure, which is actually designed with sustainability in mind. And um, that's certainly something which I know is is a key tenet of the way that the, the Surface team designs devices and makes sure that pieces can be reused, can be replaced, that packaging is lower impact in terms of, you know, reducing plastics use, et cetera. And so that, actually, as you produce those devices, you have sustainability in mind in terms of the the technology itself. And I think school systems, because they're one of the biggest purchasers in terms of numbers of devices, have an amazing opportunity to actually put pressure on all types of equipment suppliers to become ever more ecological in what they're providing, because they can make requests in terms of the specifications which go into those procurements. So Um, I I would really urge schools and school systems to to keep putting that pressure on us in the industry to make sure we, we stay on top of that. I think in terms of also thinking about making do with older things, I think something to bear in mind is when we look at the older generations of devices, they're actually less energy efficient than the newer ones are anyway. So sometimes using the older tools is not as energy efficient or ecologically friendly as using some of the newer generations. And also something which I think is particularly interesting is traditionally uh, ministries of education and indeed even schools would have um, big servers sitting in their offices or sitting in their buildings, consuming a lot of energy, um, requiring um, cooling, etc., which again is big energy demand. And actually, when you study the overall ecological impact of a cloud-based approach versus having individual servers sitting in lots of different schools, uh, it's actually more um, impactful in terms of addressing climate change to switch to cloud-based approaches where you can scale down usage, you're sharing usage across lots of institutions versus having all of those machines sitting in different locations. So it's really about making sure that as you use technology, you do integrate those sustainability concerns into the way that you decide what you're going to use and what you're going to purchase.
0: That's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you. Um Speaking of keeping up with things, my daughter, just to use an example, is from that generation. She's 22 now. They were taught some coding at school. This became very trendy in the mid-2000s, only to find out that by the time they were ready to leave school, everything they'd learned at the primary level had been completely superseded. I'm just wondering how education as a whole keeps up to date. I know you're talking about the hardware, but also the software. How do you make sure that you're equipping people to deal with stuff that they're going to actually encounter later?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the the key things to think about, and and it it applies as much to um, areas of biological science, for instance, as it does to technology. Some of the things that we learn in in primary and secondary school um, turn out to be refuted by the research or have changed by the time that we graduate. And that's a natural impact of the world changing and the world evolving and, and scientists making new discoveries. So there's no real way that you can get around that. Um, But I think when you speak about programming specifically, having any type of exposure to a programming language teaches you the logic of algorithms, the logic of the way that programming languages work. And you're able to then apply it to other programming tools as you get older. So for instance, Back in in the 80s, I learned BASIC on a ZX Spectrum, which had 48K of memory, but that stood me in good stead to be unafraid of trying out more sophisticated programming tools or using technology in my career and later life. So it's about getting exposure to whatever's appropriate at the time, while recognizing that, yes, 18 years later, uh, once you finish university, it may not be the same programming language that you're using. But I, I don't think that that's a real issue. On the other hand, I do think that, that some of the challenges that we see is, uh, particularly when you get to a more vocational level, as you get into higher education or the end of secondary school, there is a need to actually start to use tools which are more relevant to the job market so that as graduates come out of university or come out of vocational learning pathways, that they're actually really able to go into a job and do the things that employers are hoping that they can do. So um, one of the key areas that we partner with education institutions on is this um, digital skilling area where uh, we provide up-to-date curriculum which universities and vocational schools and further ed colleges can integrate into their curriculum. It keeps up to date in terms of what's out there on the job market and prepares students to be able to graduate both with an academic qualification as well as an industry certification, so that they're they're definitely on top of what's really needed out there in the world.
0: Again, that makes a lot of sense, but if I could put the counter-argument, which is a counter-argument to the argument I've just made, I realise, we are talking a little bit as if people in society overall were adopting the newest technologies year in, year out, and that's what people are going to go and find in the workplace. My experience is in certain cases, they're not. Way outside the education area, I fully appreciate. We had a holiday quite recently and some of the car parks in a Coastal Town Centre we were visiting still needed coins from the machines. They wouldn't take apps or anything like that. We didn't have the right coins with us, so we had to go and park elsewhere. So I'm wondering if it's a little bit easier for us as technologists, as podcasters, as Microsoft, whoever we happen to be in this equation, to be in our ivory towers and assume that there are all these new technologies out there, where in fact, the truth is a lot patchier.
1: You're absolutely right. I think we do see still, you know, patchy adoption of technology. I think wasn't it wasn't um the science fiction writer who said that, you know, the future is here, just not everywhere. And uh, I think when we look at what we need to do within the education system, we have a responsibility to make sure that it's as up to date as possible so that young people going out into those jobs can become agents of change in society, so that we're using technologies in a way that are useful and user friendly and, and more up to date. Because so I think your your experience of not having the right coins is a, is a great illustration of where technology actually makes it easier for us to to adapt and do things in the way that, that we need versus the way that whoever installed the parking machines um, wanted us to do things. I think, so- they think
0: they've, they've probably been <laughs> retired for some time. I think
1: so.
0: <laughs> In terms of moving forward, I'm just wondering whether Microsoft has an overarching vision of uh, how it's going to serve the education market.
1: So ultimately, our our aim in um, education is really to help students um, succeed, whether that's in their life or in their work. And we want to be a support to teachers, to educators, to decision makers, to the IT teams to actually get things done with technology in a way that really unlocks new possibilities and allow all students to learn in a way that's that's best for them. So we don't want to impose an educational vision on the education system. That's, that's the role of educationalists who know a lot more about education than, than we do. Uh, but we can provide the tools and the technology that can help them do their job better. And um, we'll listen to them as we build our tools so that they're really responsive to their needs.
0: Okay. And finally, where can listeners find out more about you and, of course, your activities?
1: Uh, So um, Microsoft Education obviously has its own web page. There's a ton of great stuff on there. And there's a Microsoft Education blog as well, where you can keep up to date with all of um, the different tools we're releasing, as well as hearing from teachers and education leaders about how they're using technology in an impactful way in their systems. And then if you want to keep in touch with me personally, I'm there on Twitter, LinkedIn, and so on. I'm always happy to connect and answer further questions or get involved in any kind of um, issues around education and skilling.
0: Alexa Joyce, Director of Transformation and Skills for Microsoft. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist Podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. And of course, you'd be very welcome in the LinkedIn group. I'll be back shortly. Thanks for listening.